0: Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Episcopal Bishop, went to, you may have heard this with before, but I just like it so much. The Episcopal Bishop went to an unfamiliar church to celebrate the Eucharist. There was a microphone on the altar. And as he was uncertain whether it was switched on or not, he tapped it gently with no result. Then leaning very close to it, he said in a loud whisper which echoed through the whole church. There is something wrong with this microphone. <laughs> to which the congregation responded by saying, and also with you. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that why we celebrate Easter, the resurrection? If there wasn't something wrong with us, we would be amazed by someone rising from the dead, but not celebrate it. If it wasn't Jesus, it wouldn't change our lives. It would be like the widow's son from the Old Testament who was raised from the dead, or Lazarus from the New Testament. But we celebrate Jesus and his resurrection because Jesus has changed our lives. Last Sunday we thought about the humble king who rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Hmm. Then on Thursday we thought about our covenant-making king who shows us that he's consistent. God always wants a relationship, an agreement with us, shows his connection to us, that he is with us always and providing us comfort and courage and protection. And then that he's compassionate, because he knows that we're not able to do what needs to be done to keep our part of the agreement. So in his compassion, he gives his son, Jesus, who does our part for us. Then we have Friday, when we saw our purposeful king. And our purposeful king did a great job of reminding us of what the truth is. He bore witness to the truth. And you know, when we looked at Good Friday, the truth is that our God is common, Not all time, Adam and Eve, all the way along until us, we've rejected him with our words and our actions. Now, today, we see our risen king. We see the changes that the resurrection brings to the lives of the disciples and us. A little story from Timothy Keller. He says, my grandfather, who passed away a long time ago, was in World War I. He told me everybody would stand in a certain trench, and for weeks and weeks and weeks, they were in trenches, and you had to do everything stooped over. Because anybody who stood up and had their head above the top of the trench was instantly shot at and usually killed. For weeks, they'd gone around, stooped over. One day, over the radio, which from which they got most of their orders, it said, the war is over. There's been a ceasefire, and the enemy on the other side is already evacuating. The war is over. They had never gotten a wrong message on that radio channel. They had never been. There was no reason in the world not to believe it. So they were convinced, my grandfather said. Now the real question was, who was the first person to stand up? It's one thing to have a convinced mind. It's another thing to believe into that message. The resurrection story is about change. Changing from being stooped over to standing upright. Changing from mourning to joy. Hmm. However, we see in our Matt Mark text that it didn't make it all the way to joy for those women, did it? It hmm. went from mourning the death of their beloved Messiah to confusion, anxiety, and fear. We'll get to the joy of minute. I want us to focus on two changes today, just two of them. From mourning to joy, and from our present perspective to an eternal perspective. How do we get from mourning to joy? Well, mourning over our rejection of Jesus, we might think about from Good Friday, or mourning over the death of Jesus, mourning over this dark world and all the issues of these days. And the way we move from this mourning to joy is by looking constantly at an eternal perspective instead of a temporal one. We're going to look at God's love for us, demonstrated by the cross and the empty tomb. You see up there. Mm. Listen again to what happens in Isaiah 25. I want to read the whole thing again for you. Listen to these words: Mm. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. What's coming for us? A feast. Death is swallowed up. Death is conquered. Tears are wiped away. That's your future and mine. Mm. Now, if I just told you that based on myself, you'd have a lot of things to doubt, right? Mm. Because I can't make things happen. Sometimes I can't. Oftentimes I can't. And I have a little problem. I have good intentions, but my follow through is broken many times. Does God have a hard time keeping His promises? Ever? No. No, and all of His promises are true for us, are yes for us in Jesus. And so when He says, I have a feast coming for you, it's coming. I stand Christian work to finish up their place out there on the ranch. I think it's next month I'm looking forward to a feast. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm gonna eat like it's a feast. <laughs> the thought of death, which we all fear, right? No one wants to die, you may not fear it. But death has been conquered, defeated. The whole idea of all of our tears wiped away.
1: Can
0: you imagine? Isn't that beyond imagination? How awesome that day is going to be, and that day is guaranteed by today's celebration because mm. Jesus has been raised from the dead. God the Father accepted Jesus's sacrifice as sufficient to pay for all of your sins. When Jesus said from the cross, "It is finished," it really is mm. for you, guaranteed. And mm. those things could help and bring us to joy as we look to the eternal and not just the present. Lift our eyes, remember how for a while I talked with you about this? How many of us are engaged in naval gazing? <laughs> wonder how life is for me. I really can't tell about anybody else, but I'm just looking at myself all the time. That happens, doesn't it? We get so consumed with ourselves that we forget to look up and see Jesus. A little later in 1 Corinthians 15, after our reading for today, verses 1-11, through it says this, I believe it starts in verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who are, who are, I'm sorry, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who have died, have perished. If If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So if it's only for this life that Jesus' resurrection matters, we're the most to be pitied. Why would Paul write that? Well, in his second letter that we have to the Corinthians, he says this. Five times, and again, he received all of these things because he shared this good news. Hmm. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, Three times I was beaten with rods, Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from river, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Mm. If the resurrection is for this life only, Mm. the author of those words says, we are most of all to be pitied. For the resurrection gives us hope for what is to come, which gives us hope for today. Mm. He had his eyes on Jesus, he loved because Jesus first loved him. And as Paul writes in the second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 5, the love of Christ compels us. And so he shares what is of first importance, the good news of salvation through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, a resurrection that was experienced by more than 500 at one time, most of whom are still living. So check it out. <laughs> Get the eyewitness testimony. Paul's life was changed. When Jesus got his attention while he was on the way to persecute the church. This is when everything changed. In the book that I have called Margin, I think it was written back in the 1990s, the author speaks about how things are changing so rapidly. We could agree with him, couldn't we? Yep. Thirty years later, things are changing incredibly he speaks about unprecedented change and, and exponential change. It's just, just ramping up. It's, fast, it's more and faster. It's, it used to be, when he writes this graph, where the past kind of show us what's coming in the future. It was kind of like this. But now in these days, in these last decades, it's kind of been the past and now exponential change. He says, dealing the past doesn't always help us deal well with what's happening in the present or what's coming in the future. Especially when it comes, as you and I know, to technology. Hmm. Then he gives us an illustration. Now, some of you are smart enough to know this, or i studied this, it's not a matter of smarts. Some of you know this. I had no clue when I first looked at it. He said, if you took a piece of paper and folded it 42 times, a piece of paper. Now, obviously, you can only get so many folds out of a piece of paper, right? So it's got to be a really, really big piece of paper. <laughs> Okay. Really, really, can you say that with me? Really, 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 <laughs> really, really, <bad. laughs> really, really okay. It's really, really big piece of paper. Fold it 42 times. If you did that, how thick would it be? Any thoughts? Oh, yeah, babe? 42 times, it would go from the earth to the moon. No way. Check it out. 42 times because it continues to exponentially grow because you double the size, and you double the size, and you double the size, and you double the size, you double it 42 times. Check it out. Give me some feedback later. Either say, you're stupid, you didn't know what you're talking about. Tell me that. Okay? Still works for the sermon though. <laughs> say, wow, I didn't know that. Check it out. Okay? 42 times. What I want you to think about is just think. That's a shocking bit of news, okay? And can change how we think about things a little bit if we look into it. The news of Jesus brings unprecedented, exponential change into people's lives. We don't just kind of keep doing this. Like, Paul didn't say, I used to really trust in who I was as this Pharisee, and now Jesus came along, and I'm kind of the same person. No, he changed. It was like, I lived a certain way following all the rules of the law, and now Jesus came. My life is completely different. The question I want you to think about first, I want you to think about this. We have an ultimate salvation that's coming. We want to have this kind of thinking so we don't think just about the here and now my strength, my power, my ability, my status, my performance, my resources. But I want to think Jesus has given me himself, his life. His resurrection life, now by the power of the Spirit, He lives within me. I am changed. I have the Garden of Eden, new heavens, new earth to look forward to. I have a feast. I have no more tears to look forward to. And The question I want you to think about throughout today is this. How has the resurrection of Jesus changed your life? How has the resurrection of Jesus changed your life? And then I want you to answer this question. Mm. And how could I tell by watching you today? Mm. Of first importance for Paul was to share the gospel in which those in Corinth were to stand and to be saved. Mm. However, for us, that was important, and it's important, and I hope I share that with you every week. But for us, I wonder if if what is of first importance now is to hear Jesus' words to the women. Go and tell. Do you have people in your life who don't know that God loves and accepts them? Is the love of Christ compelling you to go? Is the command of Jesus informing you to go? To make new friends, to engage with people that you often overlook? To see the opportunities God puts right in front of you and me to declare that which is of first importance. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And finally, to bring this together, I sometimes felt quite uncomfortable when my wife and I um, had this invitation to a party, and, and then she said, Oh, we should bring them along with us. <laughs> because they weren't invited by the people who invited us. And so I feel really awkward in inviting someone to a party that we were invited to, but they weren't. Hmm. Would you feel awkward as well? I wonder if, if we ever think that, you know, hey, God's invited me personally, and he'll invite them too. But the reality is that just like when, when Jesus gave that story about the man who's having a wedding banquet and certain people wouldn't come, he says, go to the highways, go all over, go everywhere you can and bring people. They're all inviting. Hmm. Jesus says this. He wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Do you know what? Mm -hmm. Jesus invited you. Jesus invited me. And through us, he wants everybody to receive invitation Mm -hmm. to risen, new life, feast to come, Mm -hmm. death destroyed, and no more tears. How can we possibly extend that invitation? How can we possibly do this thing when we go and tell, how can we do it? Because Jesus lives and works in us. Remember, Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen.